0: Hi, everyone. Before we get into this episode, we wanted to let you know about a fundraiser going on that we would love your support with.
1: It's for a nonprofit organization called Esther's Echo, uh, which I founded in 2011 to help fund a program overseas called the Women in Action Development Project.
0: So, Matthew, maybe can you tell us a bit about who Esther of Esther's Echo is and what Women in Action is?
1: Yeah, so I I studied uh, international development at the University of Toronto. And part of my degree was to travel abroad and work in another country. So the country that I worked in was Sierra Leone. And when I was there, I met a local community leader. Her name was Esther Canu. And she had started a school for vulnerable women and girls that was founded in the midst of the Blood Diamond Civil War in Sierra Leone. And she started the school in 1996. And I was just so impressed that a person on such limited resources and in the middle of a conflict was able to start a school to help young women whose opportunity to be educated had been completely interrupted by this civil conflict. And I started thinking about how much money it it cost to put me one foreign aid worker in the field in Sierra Leone who really knew nothing compared to this person who was an expert on her own country and community uh, in the field for a year. And that amount of money could probably have graduated, like, an entire class of hers. So, like, anywhere between 20 to now usually 50 enrolled students. So when I got home, I started thinking about how we should be doing development differently. And I was like, rather than an inefficient way of doing development, why don't we just send resources directly to people on the ground who already have their own initiatives and know what's going on rather than trying to start things from the ground up that always have to have Westerners with their hands on the reins. Right. So we founded Esther's Echo, which is an organization to basically uh, do just what its name is, Echo Esther's Work, talk about the school that she's running overseas. Uh, It's a vocational training center that does a lot of like hands-on skills training, mathematics, business uh, management uh, for young women who go on to learn things like catering, tailoring, again, like business management. A lot of them started their own businesses. Uh, how to use computer systems, how to like navigate the internet. And then they do partnerships with local colleges and do programs like electrical wiring and engineering. And then so they're prepped to go with like really hands-on practical skills to, to find employment uh, in the country.
0: So just to clarify, you kind of already touched on this, but I just want to make it really clear. Esther's Echo exists to fund this project that already existed in Sierra Leone. And that's pretty much it, right?
1: Yeah. So we, what we'll do is we'll reach out to communities that otherwise Esther wouldn't have access to. And given our fandom, Ruthie, one of my dreams was always, hey, what if we could reach out to a community that I can interact with really well? And that is science fiction fandom and especially Star Trek. And this for me is really important because... When I watched Star Trek growing up, a lot of people, like, the inspiration that they took from the show was, I want to become an engineer or a scientist or I want to go into film and maybe, like, TV and that kind of thing. For me, I was like, well, I'm probably not going to go into film and TV. I ended up kind of doing that tangentially, but that's another story. And I'm probably not going to become an engineer or, like, a scientist Although I do now talk about astronomy and stuff. But for me, I was like, how do I make the world a better place? Because when I look at the crew of the Enterprise, wherever they go, they try to make a difference. Like they try to help. And for me, I was like, "Okay, well, I have this opportunity where I can maybe help to provide resources and funds to the school to keep it operational, uh, to cover some of their operational costs. And so to be able to now share that project with the actual Star Trek community is amazing so recently what happened through a connection that i've made uh it's a woman named amy eimhoff and she is well connected to the star trek community and does a lot of like promotion through the star trek community and she's connected to uh, kate mulgrew and her and kate talked about the project and it said hey maybe we can get news about Esther's echo out into the world so uh, Kate Mulgrew was willing to put out a tweet, and we put together a, uh, a GoFundMe about Esther's Echo, and it got picked up. Uh, it got retweeted by Jonathan Frakes, uh, Brett Spiner, Robert Duncan McNeil, uh, Gates McFadden, Wilson Cruz even retweeted it. Robert Picardo put out a tweet about Activate the EEH, which was the Esther's Echo hologram, which was pretty amazing. So to see all of this happening, it was like, oh my goodness, it's like it's like the crew of, of Star Trek beaming down to help Esther Uh, And the organization, just like I always kind of imagined it in my head, you know, that Star Trek was helping to make the world a better place. And now we're doing that for real. And so this has always been a dream of mine because I really I really believe that our fandom can be used for real world social change and that we can make that bright future a little bit more in the present through that work.
0: Amazing. So just in case any of our listeners have not seen any of these tweets, how can they donate to Esther's Echo?
1: So we'll put a link to the donation page uh, on GoFundMe in the description of this episode. You could also probably just Google uh, Star Trek Esther's Echo and it'll probably come up. It was number one trending on the Star Trek hashtag a couple days ago. So uh, you can probably also look up some of the tweets from those actors. It'll also have the link for the donation page. Uh, we're trying to raise $10,000, which I think is like a an achievable goal for this entire community. For sure. That $10,000 will run... Esther's school and a satellite location now that, that is in a more rural location outside of Freetown, the capital city, for a whole other year. So that's 50 more students that are graduated uh, with a two-year program uh, with skills that will help them survive and thrive in one of the most challenging and difficult places in the world to live.
0: Cool. Well, thanks so much for doing that and for talking about it here.
1: Thanks for asking about it. I'm glad we can share this. I, I'm I'm really excited about this. You know, Star Trek is great, and it's it's a way for us to sometimes uh, escape this world and its troubles, and that's yeah. a valid way to celebrate our fandom. But I think in the meantime, when we when we come back from that escape, let's bring something of that world into the present. And this is my way of trying to do that. And I'm really grateful. To everyone who's been been supportive and helpful uh, both fans and the cast and crew that have been supporting the project too it's been like I was seeing all the tweets come in the other day and I was like I was like crying on the subway Aww. I was like oh my god <laughs> I was like this is amazing uh, so yeah it's been it's been a really cool thing to see happen
0: amazing well thank you listeners all of you who have already contributed and if you do choose to contribute thank you for that And now we will get into our episode. Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kauper-Samoshi.
1: And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Times Squared, This episode was written by Maurice Hurley and Kurt Michael Benzmiller and directed by Joseph L. Scanlon. It first aired on April 1st, 1989.
0: It first aired on April Fool's.
1: It did, yeah. I was thinking about that as I read it. And I was like, "Yeah, is the episode like an April Fool's joke? Because it is a bit (laughs) odd.
0: There is a little bit of like opposite day going on in this episode.
1: There is, yeah. Now that we've watched this episode. Yeah? I'm trying to, I was trying to find like, you know try to give it more meaning, you know, let's look into it and see what like what you can take out of it. And I I found something here. There's something here that was interesting. And so I was glad that you picked the check in. I know you haven't read it yet. But it was about coming across like a different version of yourself. And what would you do?
0: Yeah, well, what would you do? Let's get into that. Let's get into our check in. What would you do if you came across a different version of yourself?
1: Yeah. And and so this episode, we were stuck in a time loop at one point, right? Where it, it feels like A character is being driven toward, as Picard says at one point, a road that has no turns. Yes. So that that there's like a lack of choice. And I think everything about that situation is abhorrent to Picard in every way. A person who values choice and wants to make decisions. And he is seeing this version of himself that seems like they are everything that's his opposite. They are scared. They're filled with like remorse and regret and indecision. Several times he tells Troy, even though Troy keeps saying that like emotionally this person is you, he's like, no, 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 I I don't recognize anything about myself here. Yeah. So the way I interpreted this episode, I was like, I thought about it in terms of when you might come across a circumstance or a situation that... In your life, it's one that you keep feeling like you keep making the same mistake over and over again.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: At some point, you're like, oh, there's this version of me. There's a duality. You might feel like it's the wrong decision, but you keep making the same mistake. And so there's this duality of character. There's two parts of you where you're aware enough to know that you're making a mistake, but it keeps mm. happening. And maybe at some point, you need to, like, destroy this other version of yourself. That is preventing you from changing course, from making a different decision. And I feel like as someone who often feels like they've made several mistakes over and over again, the same way, I was like, ah, you know what? I kind of recognize that here. And there's a part of me that when it was making these mistakes, and I'm trying to get better at this now, and my own personal growth, that is like disdainful of that version of myself. You know, like I would look at that version of myself, maybe on a bio bed table and be like, what's wrong with you? Picard even in a way he tries to well, you know we'll get into this in the episode but I think he tries to distinguish himself from that other version of himself he doesn't even call himself by his own first name he calls him Picard you know when well, he's like Picard yeah. talk to me on the table you know yeah so that's that's kind of what I took from this episode is like a different I wonder if there's different versions of ourselves even in ourselves that sometimes we need to to struggle with or to tap into to, to make different choices sometimes and get off a path that seems like it has no turn
0: that's that's really interesting. I like that. I wasn't thinking about that at all when I thought up this check-in topic. I was thinking, you know, this is a sort of silly, lighthearted one again. Yeah. But I constantly overthink my interactions with people and I like run them through in my head just kind of thinking about everything that I did wrong and every reason why people don't like me and even stuff where it's like I have zero evidence to support that like I'll think about um, this happened not too long ago and I'll you know I'll keep it generic but I was with a friend and we were doing one thing and then that friend invited me to do something else and we did that other thing and then at the end of that I mentioned another time like you know, a, a different kind of hangout and we should do this other thing. And that friend was like, oh, yeah, I'd really I'd really like that. That sounds like fun. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did this horrible thing, this horrible thing. I wonder if that person even likes me and just like going over and over with that. Yeah. And then I was and I, I was able to like catch myself and be like, OK, Ruthie, what evidence do you actually have that this person found any of what you did to be like off-putting or that they didn't like any of what you of that that whole interaction that you just had sure yeah and I have no evidence but thinking if I were to meet a version of myself would I just notice things that I or they were doing and like notice those flaws and be like oh my gosh that's so embarrassing how could how could they have done that how could you do that how could yeah or would I be able to like have compassion for myself as another person separate from myself.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah.
0: I would like to be able to have compassion, but if I really think about it, I don't know. I might just pick apart those flaws. And if I were to ever have a conversation with another version of myself, I feel like we'd just go down a really unpleasant spiral of of things we don't like about ourselves and each other.
1: (laughs) That's Yeah, that's interesting because then it's like, what do we... How, maybe that's an example then of how we actually feel toward ourselves or would treat ourselves. And, you know, it's so yeah. often that I I read things about how important it is to have self-compassion and like how would yeah. you treat yourself. And and I, I wonder if we would treat ourselves as well as we want to treat other people and with their mistakes and, and would be, be as forgiving toward ourselves or, you know, would we treat ourselves violently and, and with anger and... I don't know if I would want to meet myself then in that way. That seems like a scary proposition. But maybe we have to do that. Maybe that confrontation is important, even if it just occurs in our own psyche.
0: Yeah, and I think that, like, I didn't think about this when I was watching the episode, but based on what you have been saying about these different versions of ourselves, I think that when Troy is telling Picard to, like, stop yelling at this other version of himself. She is in a way asking him to practice self-compassion.
1: Yes. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, but that is very true.
0: Yeah. I don't know if the writers knew that that's what she was doing, but there is a piece of that.
1: Yeah, because he's so mean to himself. <laughs> he kind of yeah. like he doesn't have a lot of like patience She's like, Yeah, he's 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 terrified, he feels remorse, he's scared, he's like, What is he frightened of? Just kind of yelling at himself.
0: <laughs> yeah. You
1: know, because he hates those qualities. And there maybe another element to this is that he feels vulnerable in front of them, that this version of him is being exposed in this way.
0: Yeah, this side.
1: This side of him. He's trying to put on a good show, maybe in front of Pulaski and Troy because he said in other in other instances, in other episodes, he's talked about how you there's there's things that a captain just aren't is not supposed to show to the crew, indecision, mm-hmm. fear, that kind of thing. And now he's so exposed on this table, and Troy yeah. knows that this is a version of him. And maybe there's anger there because he feels defensive about that that he's he's being so exposed in front of his own crew members.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. I'm so glad you took this check in in that direction. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
1: Honestly, I've been inspired by when I was doing the Strange New World podcast uh, with Mike and Yvette. Yeah. So if anyone hasn't heard those, you should go check them out. because And the Ruby yeah, and I on were discovering both on an episode. Trek. Yeah. Discovering Trek, Strange New World. Yeah.
0: Matt was on most of the episodes. I was on one.
1: But that was a good episode. I was glad you were able to come in and hang out yeah. with us. But Yvette always, like, really took the analysis of the episodes to the next level. And she was like, she would always find this, like, key theme in the episodes. And I like after she'd talk about it, I'd be like, oh, man, like, how did I miss that? So I'm trying to think (laughs) about that more in these episodes. And I don't know if they were intended, say, in this one or not. But I was just starting to think about in terms of what you had already thought of for the check-in. It's like what what happens when you meet yourself and in this kind of situation and if other people see that meeting. At the same time, how might you react? Yeah. I also I just remember this episode a lot when I was younger because of the visuals that are really cool and the the sort of the funnel that they get trapped in and the cloudy yeah. like vortex is also kind of neat. And so I I remember that as well uh, watching this episode when I was younger and then the Enterprise being almost like just dwarfed by this maw of this thing as it's yes. trying to like pull it in. It's neat. It's got yes. some neat visuals in it too. This episode.
0: It does. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about the episode? Should we get into it?
1: Let's do it. So in this episode, the Enterprise comes across a duplicate of one of its own shuttles piloted by a duplicate Captain Picard.
0: It is wild. But we start off uh, not with a captain's log this week. We start off in Riker's quarters in a scene that doesn't actually connect much to the to the rest of the episode, but is kind of nice, I think.
1: Yeah, these little moments with the crew like trying to hang out.
0: Yeah, and Riker's making, he's making an omelette. <laughs> he's got Data and LaForge and Pulaski and Worf joining him for brunch. I did notice there was no Troy, and I went back to the beginning of Measure of a Man, and she wasn't in the poker game either. And I, I kind of wondered why. I wondered if the writers like didn't want to make her like and Riker to be that good friends at this point.
1: I think it's because, like, if Troy and Riker had dated before, yeah, Troy knows what Riker's cooking is like. So I, when... w- I
0: wondered that as well. She <laughs> so was like, "No, nah, he's, he's always using not... weird eggs from weird all eggs. over the place." Yeah, I'm not coming. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, but I was also kind of wondering if, like, there's this certain edge to Pulaski that can be. Put in ai don't I don't like this this framing, but I think there's a little bit of, you know, she's one of the guys like she's she's not like other women. She's I wouldn't call Pulaski cool because I don't think that's the, <laughs> oh. that's the image she get, She gives off. But she's like, you know, she's not too she's not overly sensitive. She's not, you know, like she doesn't have these like sort of characteristics that are kind of stereotypically associated with womanhood. And so, like, she's cool. She's allowed to hang out with the guys and play poker with them and have brunch with them. Because we all know brunch is a stereotypically guy thing to do.
1: Oh, is it? Is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs>
0: no, it's not.
1: Oh, <laughs> it's
0: not at all. It's like a.
1: Yeah, I was, I was like, really? I was like, I don't know. The...
0: It's like the most delicious meal of the day. Everyone should.
1: It have is, brunch. yeah. Yeah. If, if, well, brunch also just means that you're able to eat in the day without worrying about something else. Every meal should be brunch. Yeah.
0: Anyway, let's get back into the actual okay, episode.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Pulaski is surprised that his father, because Riker's is like, oh, um, I have my father to thank for all the cooking. And then she's like, yeah. oh, I'm surprised that your father uh, liked to cook. And he's like, no, it's because he left it all to me because he didn't, he would never cook.
0: Yeah. And it comes out, Worf makes a comment about how he thought that in human families, cooking was women's work.
1: And no one corrects that, by the way. No
0: one corrects it. All Riker says is that he didn't know his mother because she passed away uh, when he was very young. It's
1: insinuating that if she were around that she would have been doing the cooking
0: exactly. yeah,, yep. yeah. I know in the twenty fourth century, cooking is still is, is women's work among humans. Let's just uh, hold on for later, not for this episode, but that the comment that Pulaski makes. About being surprised that uh, that Riker's father liked to cook. Let's just hang on to that for later.
1: Okay, I've got it. It's in the parking lot.
0: Okay, yeah, put it in the parking lot. We'll come back to it one of these
1: days. Riker says that he's using O1 eggs. Yeah. From Starbase 73. So we don't we don't know what an O1 is, but we're, you know, we I'm guessing yeah. it's an alien, some kind of alien egg.
0: Yeah, it's not a chicken.
1: Not chicken. And he's got like a hot plate. And so he's, I think it's more like scrambled eggs he's making. He's basically scrambling them. Yeah. Which yeah. I thought was cool because as that was happening, Ruthie, I was making scrambled eggs myself.
0: Oh, that's fun. I
1: forgot that was in the episode. So I literally had eggs going on a frying pan as Riker did. I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, that's fun.
0: It's also funny to me that he does it on a hot plate because they don't have stoves.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. They don't have kitchens and things. So they have to like come up with a hot plate. Yeah. So they, they serve it up and like none of them pretend that it's good like they're just like oh it's gross the forge is like it's terrible
0: before Forge like chokes on it yeah he chokes
1: on it. he's like uh um, data's yeah. watching their reaction before eating it which is very logical yeah he's like i don't want to be poisoned or whatever Worf loves it he's like delicious and which is yeah. one of my favorite Worf scenes in all of star trek Worf
0: just like wolfs it all down you notice uh Worf and data both uh eat with their left hands
1: I did not. I do know, I remember, though, the data is left-handed. That is a thing. Data
0: is, I think Brent, I'm pretty sure Brent Spiner is left-handed. I would
1: imagine so, yeah.
0: Worf, I'm not sure. I did some Googling, and I'm not sure about Michael Dorn, but in a later episode of a different series, uh, Worf apparently throws with his left hand, but bats with his right hand.
1: Oh, he's omnidextrous. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe all Klingon warriors are.
0: You have to be able to use both hands. That's right. They're it's from years of, on of
1: Batleth training. Yeah, exactly. That's right.
0: Anyway, they're saved from their... <laughs> Horrible omelette that nobody except for Wharf likes because Riker calls or Picard calls Riker to the bridge and they're all like, Yep, we'll we'll go with you. (laughs) We're not gonna sit around and eat these terrible eggs.
1: Saved by Red Alert.
0: Yeah, so they get to the bridge and Picard says that they've picked up an automated signal from a Federation shuttle, which is weird because there are no other ships around. There's no federate they're the only Federation ship in that space. Mm Mm-hmm. Worf says that there is at least one life sign. It's a humanoid life sign on the shuttle, but they can't communicate because the shuttle has no power. And then we go into the intro.
1: After the intro, they are in- intercepting the shuttlecraft with a tractor beam. And so they're towing it in because it has no power. So they're putting it into shuttle bay too. And there's this cool moment where you can see that the shuttle beams, like main tractor from outside, like through the shuttle bay, uh, itself. And then it switches to an internal tractor once yeah. the tractor beam angle can't like get inside anymore. I don't think we ever see that again. I thought it was so cool. Yeah, it was neat.
0: Yeah. Like the tra- the main tractor beam works for like towing something. But if you want to bring something into the ship, yeah, you'd have to, that makes sense. You'd have to have an internal one.
1: Internal tractor beam that's projected from inside the shuttle bay itself. So yeah. it draws the shuttle in and they land it. And so Riker and Worf and Pulaski go to the shuttle bay. Like they go up to the shuttle and they're like, well, it looks like a Federation shuttlecraft. Like, clearly it says on the side, a giant font. It says that it's the Elbaz It is shuttlecraft 5. And they're like, 1701D USS Enterprise, like, reading it out. So they have to make yeah. that. And the, the camera has to pan, like, over top of the writing. Like, clearly you would have seen immediately, hey, wait, that's our shuttlecraft.
0: Yeah, like, did, did they not realize that until Riker read it out loud? Read the numbers <laughs> it was... out loud. So there are a few moments where they say things where it feels like it's kind of... For this is not not in this episode, but just in general Star Trek, it's like you're saying things that are kind of for the audience's benefit, but the audience could figure that out without you saying it.
1: Yeah, like we can see it says on the side, like all they had to do was look at it and say, this is our shuttlecraft. You know, anyways. <laughs> um, c- conveniently, it's also parked right next to the other shuttlecraft that is the same as it is. Yeah. So the two of them are beside each other. They're both the Elbaz, shuttlecraft five from the Enterprise. So it's like a duplicate of one of the shuttles they already have. Yeah. Riker calls Picard to confirm that he's on the bridge because when they open the shuttlecraft, they find that there's an unconscious second Captain Picard inside of the shuttle.
0: Yeah, and so I have decided I'm going to refer to this second Picard as Picard Prime, or maybe sometimes just Prime, just because that kind of means like another version. And it's easier than saying over and over again, the other or the one from the future or whatever. So that's how I'm going to refer to this other Picard.
1: Okay. Picard Prime shouldn't be our Picard? Isn't that Picard Prime? No? Okay, cool. Because when,
0: you know, in math, we use Prime to talk about like the derivative. You've got the function and then you've got the derivative of function is Prime. So this is the derivative of Picard.
1: So Star Trek uses that wrong all the time then because we've always been referring to Spock from the like... Leonard Nimoy Spock as Spock Prime and then Spock in the other movies is like the other Spock.
0: I think there is more than one way of using it.
1: Okay. Like cool. I don't
0: I don't think it's like either way is wrong.
1: Well, I trust you, you're the math person.
0: In in math, that is how it's used. Alright, that's but, how we're
1: gonna use it then.
0: So <laughs> uh it, it is funny when Riker's like like calls to Picard and asks if he's on the bridge. And he's like, where else would I be? Where else would I I be? Like, I feel like Picard's already a little bit irritated just for other reasons in this episode. And then when he sees this version of himself, he's like, this is it. I can't handle this right now.
1: He's like, did that version of me get invited to brunch? Because I didn't get invited to brunch.
0: (laughs) So Picard and Data come to the shuttle bay. Picard is really, of course, shocked to see this unconscious version of himself Who's also like sort of like you can tell the makeup is done to make uh like Picard Prime sort of grayish.
1: Yeah, he almost looks Borgy, like like that yeah. kind of gray Borgy skin that we'll yeah. see later. Yeah,
0: yeah, and like clearly in discomfort, even though he's unconscious, like he's frowning. And then Pulaski says that his life signs are confusing. Like she says his heartbeat is strong, but the pulse is off. She doesn't say what the pulses off of but it's like things don't match up things are out of phase and then troy i guess she she came to the shuttle bay too yep like she says that it's difficult to explain what she's sensing because she has never sensed anything like this before but she's like she says to picard that is you and picard is just flat out no
1: yeah he's like there's no way that can be is it cloned? clone? Yeah. Is it like whatever? It can't be me. There's no way.
0: Yeah, like he just out of hand without, he's like, listen, I I know me because I'm me.
1: Because uh, I'm me. That is
0: not me. I don't show up unconscious in Shuttlecraft.
1: And you do in Star Trek. Everyone sees versions of themselves all over the place. So that's the thing. Yeah. As Picard leaves, Riker shows him a scuff on the hull and Picard says that it looks like it's caused by an antimatter explosion. And so, so we've learned now about antimatter explosions from Contagion. We know that that's caused by the explosion of a starship, right? Or the dramatic death of a starship right. because they carry antimatter. So right. that's that's a bad sign.
0: How can you tell, though, with that scuff? Like it's... Wouldn't scuffs just... I don't know.
1: It's because the art department told him so. Oh, okay. okay. I think I think it's what... <laughs> <laughs> like this is the scoring pattern from antimatter? Oh, okay. Actually, on that note, there's uh, there are fun little footnotes in the Star Trek technical manual that are kind of like behind the scenes and stuff. Oh, yeah. In the section that talks about antimatter and warp drive and all the rest of it, there's a footnote at the bottom. And it said, one day, Patrick Stewart walked into like the writing room or whatever and was like, so how does all this like warp drive stuff work? And they're like, we explained to him that in the future we use these antimatter drives and that it's all very complicated and uses these reactions and stuff. And they said, Patrick Stewart's reply was, nonsense. All you have to do is say, engage. (laughs) That was fun. I think it's hilarious. That's really funny. Data and LaForge start to work on getting power to the shuttle. And they look at the logs, but everything is the opposite of how it should be. So when they add power, it goes down. When they take power away, kind of things go up. And they have to like... Put the power like in positive phase and negative phase. So it's like it's like the shuttle's backwards for some reason.
0: It is. It's it's like opposite day. Like this is April Fool's shuttle. Yeah. And there are like explosions and it's it's just all very weird.
1: Yeah. Data tries to start it and there's like sparks and stuff.
0: Yeah. And the same thing is happening in sickbay. Like Pulaski tells Picard and Troy that this Picard primes vital signs are distorted and so she he's alive and she's keeping him restrained but then when picard says okay wake him up she gives him a stimulant and all of his vitals like drop right like it has the opposite effect so she's like i guess i'll have to try something else but that must be terrifying if you know you've got this patient who ostensibly you know how their body works because they've got a human body but it just has an opposite reaction to everything i mean i guess that's what practicing medicine is like you're like well I, this is how it should work but the human body is a funny thing
1: yeah we're all a little bit different
0: we are yeah, yeah. So ugh, that's that's scary in the shuttle bay they eventually do get power to the shuttle but it's it's still really dicey, and they, they sort of do something, and they're like, well, this should work, but it doesn't, and this thing shouldn't work, but it does, and they're like, they have to be really careful, and Data at one point tells LaForge to step out of the way in case there's another explosion, and LaForge is like, okay, but also remember that you are not indestructible.
1: <laughs> Yeah, maybe a bit tougher, but not indestructible.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: The Forge notices that the shuttle star date is six hours ahead. So that they're they're meaning then that the other Picard is also six hours into the future. So this this shuttlecraft and this Picard Prime have somehow been kicked six hours into the past.
0: Yes. And so then again in Sick Bay, when Picard learns this, he tells Pulaski to try to wake up the Picard Prime again. And this time it does work. He wakes up and he looks around, but he's restrained. He's got like a force field on him, so he can't sit up. And he kind of looks around and lies back down. And then Pulaski starts to wonder if Picard is okay. She asks him and he says, yeah, I'm fine. Focus on your patient. But she does not seem convinced. She doesn't think he's doing
1: okay. No, but as we know, Picard's not super great about talking about his feelings.
0: Or, like, anything with a doctor about Or, like, a,
1: yeah, not with Pulaski in particular, yeah. Back in the observation lounge, LaForge and Data have recovered what they can of the shuttle's log. So they want to tell everyone what they've found. Uh, Picard is apprehensive to play a log from the future. I guess we're hinting here at, like, polluting the timeline and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but they do it anywhere. Picard needs that information. So the last visual log, it's kind of distorted. Like, we see it almost looks like a doubling or kind of rainbow yeah. effect.
0: Yeah. It's out of phase. It's out
1: of phase. And and LaForge says it's just going to look that way. But the last visual log shows the shuttle departing from the shuttle bay. Riker is there watching the shuttle go off. It departs from the shuttle bay. It flies backward through the anomaly. But then from the shuttle's perspective, they see the Enterprise get blasted by like this beam of energy. And the Enterprise kind of shifts sideways in space and then just explodes.
0: Yeah. This is actually the first time we see the Enterprise explode it won't be the last time we see it interestingly enough
1: it blows up many times
0: (laughs) yeah this is this is the first one we have seen a ship that looked just like the enterprise exploding when we saw the Yamato explode this is the first first instance of the enterprise exploding
1: they also have an audio log and it's Picard's last audio log and it says that he has just witnessed the destruction of the USS Enterprise with the loss of all hands except himself and everyone is very surprised that Picard somehow left the ship because it's the captain's duty to go down with the ship, right? If, yeah. if anyone is going to die, it's probably going to be the captain first, you know, before everyone yeah. else. So everyone's really surprised that he would be the la- the only survivor from the ship and that everyone else would be dead.
0: Yeah, including Picard. He is shocked and I would yes. guess embarrassed. Yes. Like you were saying earlier in the check-in, like yeah, embarrassed yeah, yeah. that that this version of himself who survived everyone on the ship even exists.
1: And so Riker and Worf both say that sensors and charts show that there's nothing to indicate that between where they are and the Endicore system, which is their destination, that there's anything dangerous that would even cause something like this to happen.
0: Yeah, there aren't like any ships in the vicinity. There's, there's nothing. And so LaForge wonders, well, should we reverse course? Because the shuttle came from somewhere ahead of us. So should we turn around and, or, or maybe just pause? Wait for whatever this is to come to us. Picard and Riker, they go on a little bit about this, you know, this future might not be avoidable, which is, I think, fair to bring up, but they have no evidence to suggest that that's the case. It's not like they've tried to avoid it and ended up having having things happen anyway. Like they're just like, no, we probably can avoid it. So so we should actually keep doing what we were doing. Like Riker says, you can't avoid the future, which is true, but they don't know that they're in a fixed
1: loop. This is one of the things about time travel episodes is that depending on who's writing it, the philosophy and mechanics of time travel is always different. Yeah. Sometimes it creates like a schism with an alternate universe. Sometimes it's like you can change it. Sometimes you can't. Worf brings up this theory of Mobius, which is like a geometric form where a twist in space and therefore time is created that you can't escape from. You're just always stuck and to repeat the same loop over and over and over yeah.
0: again. Yeah. I thought it was cool that Wharf was the one to get to bring it up because he's not often the one who gets to bring up-
1: science Scientific
0: things. ideas, yeah.
1: <laughs> Perhaps it is a Mobius.
0: Yeah, it was kind of
1: nice. At the very least, it aches over and over again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's like i hope the loop includes brunch <laughs> uh,
1: picard, picard says that at some point in the future a decision will be made that will separate him from the enterprise and it will seem like the right decision at the time but it won't be and so they have to anticipate it so they don't make the same mistake once he says not again yeah, i like once. that yeah. he
0: kind of he kind of smiles at at himself for yeah. saying that
1: he's like i'm very clever
0: <laughs> yeah so in sickbay Picard and Troy return to check on Picard Prime and Pulaski says she is learning just how much of the body is held together by its internal clock and so this other version of Picard his systems have changed their rhythms because he was thrown out of time and as we get closer to the time that he left his body clock is sort of realigning. And that made me think, you were just talking about the different kinds of time travel that we see. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is true. Any any science fiction that involves time travel, I think no two time travel stories are identical. They, they always have slightly different versions. But I almost think that this Picard isn't even just Picard from the future. I think this is Picard... From one specific moment. Oh. When they get to that moment. It's not like they're able. It's not like he's able to think about the options. That he was able to think about the first time he did it. Like this Picard takes a predetermined path. And also I was thinking when she was like. Well as we get closer to his time. He's realigning. And I was like but shouldn't he still be out of time because he's also moving forward in time like he shouldn't he still be in a different phase but he's not like he is I, th- I feel like this is something different from time travel this is like this is the picard of one
1: moment that's fascinating i had not thought of it like that but that I, that makes a lot of sense it kind of yeah i like it because it plays into what i was saying earlier that it's it's this idea of like confronting decisions and choices, and this, like, other version of yourself. So this other Picard is maybe not a whole other Picard. It's just, like, a manifestation of one choice in one time. And so before that point, he's not really, like, filled with consciousness or, like, a, a soul or whatever. But he's just the embodiment of this one decision. And so when the time approaches to make that decision again, he becomes, like, a fully conscious like, human being again. I hadn't thought of it like that. That's that's very smart. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's exactly what's going on. Cool.
0: Yeah, because he doesn't make sense as a full Picard.
1: No. Whoa. Yeah. There might be more to this episode then, kind of. There I might think be, about yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of it like that. That is very cool, actually. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. So, anyways, so Picard, <laughs> in the meantime, though, like, this other Picard Prime is still not fully, like, aware of what's going on. No. Uh, Troy says that, this Picard is like in another dimension. And it's like they're looking across this great chasm at us and trying to understand what we're saying. But Picard is like grabbing himself and like yelling. He's like, what went wrong? Like, what's going on? And like, he's just very upset and unsympathetic in any way.
0: Yeah. So Pulaski, she she says that, you know, this Picard, he's starting to become more lucid. He's still unaware of the surroundings. He doesn't mm-hmm. really know who is who or where exactly he is, Troy says that he's feeling remorse at what yeah. he has witnessed and that he's afraid. And then Picard asks Troy if she still believes that this Picard Prime is him, and she says that she is, but she says to Picard, "But you aren't." Yeah, and Picard is like, "Yeah, no, you're right. I'm not convinced. Aside from what he looks like, there is nothing familiar about this person." Yes, and just yeah. kind of. She he, he, he almost like storms off and tells Troy to stay with him and he's like, you know, you'll be able to communicate with him before anyone else and then he just leaves. Yeah. And then we get into an interesting conversation, I thought, between Pulaski and Troy where I felt like neither of them was really listening to the other. Okay. Because Pulaski says that Picard, the, the their main Picard, is under a lot of anxiety, more than... Like, she says, I don't see how anyone can continue to function under this state of anxiety, and she worries that there's going to be a breaking point. And Troy says, no, he's handling it well, and this anxiety is actually reasonable and healthy. Basically, what they're getting at is Pulaski says that her duty is to the ship... And if she finds Picard unfit to command, she will have to relieve him of duty. And Troy's yeah. like, that's not going to happen. He's fine. I don't know. I, I'd be curious to, to know what your thoughts were. Because when I was seeing this, I was thinking on the one hand, there are problems where, you know, someone being upset about something or anxious about something or angry That that is then taken as some sort of flaw or as, okay, well, you are not able to do your job. You are not able to have any power because basically like because you're you're showing feelings because you're upset or you're angry or you're worried. And that is a problem. Where And certainly it's, it's it's not usually used against white men in power. It's usually used against, you know, people who are marginalized or oppressed. So right. Like, oh, listen, you're getting upset about things. We can't listen to you while you're upset. Or,
1: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Stuff
0: like that. And so I can see Troy sort of advocating against that. At the same time, like, Picard is having a lot of trouble with this. And I think it's worth... Entertaining the possibility that it might affect his ability to keep the ship safe. I don't know. Does that make sense?
1: I guess so. Yeah. I think Pulaski, maybe Pulaski's under less bias. She hasn't been around the ship as long. She doesn't have maybe the same loyalty to Picard. And so she, that's why she's saying, hey, maybe we got to get rid of him. And maybe that's why Troy's defending him. But maybe Troy also has insight into his brain and what's going on with him. And she can speak for him and say, no, like, He's okay. But if there were two people to have a conversation about the fitness of the captain, I guess it would be the ship's counselor and the ship's medical officer. I so guess so. It, it makes sense for them to have that conversation.
0: It does. It just doesn't really feel like a conversation. Yeah. It feels like Troy is like, nope, you're wrong. And Pulaski's like, we'll see.
1: We'll see. Yeah. And I, I think we probably don't have more time in the episode than, <laughs> than that. And I think it's kind of dropped in there to say like, this might be a thing. But then you yeah. know, we kind of move on from it. And we end yeah. up in the shuttle bay and it looks at the, the Shuttle 5 Prime and then is like quickly leaving. So he's kind of looking at it and it's this foreshadowing of what might be.
0: It's a very like short, quiet scene of just Picard on his own. Yeah. Which I think Patrick Stewart does those scenes so well. Oh yeah, he
1: does. Yeah, you can always tell there's a lot going on inside the character. Yeah. And that yeah. comes forward in his acting. They go back to the ready room and Picard and Riker are discussing what force could bring the shuttle back in time and potential theoretical possibilities. So they, one of them is like traveling beyond warp 10, which we'll get into later.
0: (laughs) That was another way. Remember when I talked about the Iconian gate that I thought would get me to school on time? Yes. That was another thing that I used to think when I like knew I would be late, like when I left after when I needed to arrive. And I'd be like, there has to be a way. Like if you travel faster and faster like you get there early and earlier there has to be a speed that you could travel where you would get somewhere before you left
1: before you left yeah
0: so that i could i could leave late for school but travel fast enough that i would get there on time
1: that might be beyond warp 10 in the star trek technical manual warp 10 is supposed to be infinite speed yeah what they say is that you you would simultaneously occupy all points in the universe at once right which is, that's intense.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: The other is to slingshot using a star's gravity, which we see happen in Star Trek 4. So yeah. in Star Trek 4, which had only come out a few years before this, although in my childhood brain, there's like a giant gulf between those things because it was like <laughs> three or four years, which is like half of your entire life when yeah. you're that age. Uh, you could travel around a star and go back in time. And that's how we saved the whales in Star Trek 4. So that happened.
0: Yeah. I like that they that they mentioned that. Yep. Yeah. That's a little little shout out.
1: And I believe... That that is what they do. I haven't seen season two of Star Trek Picard yet, but I believe that that is how they time travel in the the latest Star Trek Picard series Oh, as I well. think
0: so. I yeah. can't fully remember. Yeah. The
1: shuttle doesn't have warp capabilities, though, so it can't do either of those things. It can't go warp 10. It can't go, like, slingshot around a star's gravity at warp yeah. speed. So there's and there's no natural force that they know of that can do it. So Picard wonders if, therefore, there must be an intelligent force at play.
0: I would kind of like this because... TNG is such an episodic show. I really like it when they mention things that have happened in the past. So that he Mm -hmm. mentions the traveler who was able to sort of manipulate time with his thoughts. He mentions uh, Mannheim who had these sort of unstable time experiments. I think Riker does a really good job here of sort of validating all of these suggestions and then saying, you know... Maybe now actually isn't a good time for you to do what comes naturally to you, which is to kind of logic your way through this puzzle. And he says one of your strengths is your ability to evaluate the dynamics of a situation and then take action, take a definitive and preemptive step. But you can't do that here because it's not just that you can't find the answer, but you can't even define what the problem is we're we're dealing with time we're not dealing with a person or a thing
1: yeah and and so that's hard to uh, sit down he said so Picard says he doesn't know how to sit down shut up and wait very easily
0: (laughs) yeah Riker's like oh I wasn't gonna put it that way uh Riker brings up just I just want to mention this because I think it's a bit weird Riker calls this Picard's Persian flaw which uh, apparently so I was googling this I could not find any, like, credible sources. The idea behind a Persian flaw is in cre- in weaving rugs in ancient Persia, people would intentionally put in a flaw to prevent the rug from being perfect because only God's creations can be perfect. So they would intentionally create these flaws. I was not able to find any Persian or Iranian sources that said that's what this is okay it could be a real thing or it could be like a westernized thing i also wonder if he kind of means tragic flaw which is like a literary device that's meant to be a character the the flaw that that causes a character to bring about their own downfall so like I i think that's sort of what what he meant which is different from what a persian flaw is supposed to be but
1: anyway yeah persian flaw is more flattering than to say to your captain that they have a tragic flaw, I suppose Maybe, in this case.
0: I guess. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you didn't have to say anything, but... No,
1: that's true. Yeah, at all. But at that point, the decision is made for them anyway, because suddenly the ship lurches and Wharf calls them to the bridge. An energy vortex has just appeared beneath the ship with no warning. And on the view screen, it looks like the same anomaly from the shuttle's visual log. And outside of the ship, it looks like, almost like a tornado or like a waterfall in space. Like you can see like a swirling vortex...
0: I thought of it like a like a space fall.
1: Yeah, I I think it, it's cloudy. To me, it always looked like a space tornado. And oh, I, th- I thought that was cool. I, tornadoes are like a fascinating phenomenon for me. I've never seen one outside of like a very, very, very early memory from childhood of a water spout that was at my grandfather's cottage. Because you used to have tornadoes in those parts of Ontario. Now tornadoes in Ontario are like way more common, unfortunately.
0: I've never actually seen a tornado. And I... I am glad because that t- I've seen the movie Twister. I watched
1: it last night, Ruthie. Oh, nice! <laughs> I watched Twister last night. Yeah, because we're we're I was just in, I was in a tornado mood. I find tornadoes fascinating, so maybe I've been primed for this because I just watched a tornado film, and then so I saw this visual effect because I watched this episode again this morning, and uh, it's like it looks like a tornado.
0: I saw Twister when I was like I don't know eight, and it terrified me. So tornadoes terrify me, but. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking like a waterfall, but space. So space a spacefall.
1: Yeah, Twister was it was one of those big blockbuster 90s films. Yeah. Anyways, they're stuck in this thing. It's holding them in place. Yeah. And they can't leave anywhere. LaForge is saying that he has to put the warp engine. So even at warp speed, they're at faster than light speed just to stay ahead of this thing. And they're holding at thirty percent just to be to stay in place and the captain's log is funny because he's like we've apparently intersected <laughs> with something yeah i'm gonna use that as my captain's log all the time i'm like yeah. i've apparently intersected with something
0: something don't know what it is just gonna yeah. call it something
1: it's a tractor beam but much more powerful and that's cool because we've seen tractor beams earlier so we know what they, yeah. do. they grab things
0: yeah troy says there's a consciousness but she says it's more instinct than thought
1: like a venus flytrap or something
0: yeah Riker says that he thinks they're being probed, and Troy thinks maybe this consciousness is trying to learn if they are a life force. Or, hmm. or yeah. So Picard initially says, Okay, well, let's stay and investigate. And then as soon as he says it, he realizes that might be the wrong decision. That might be the decision that eventually separates me from the enterprise.
1: Yeah, he starts doubting himself.
0: Yeah, which which is hard. You know, to to have information that you are going to make a wrong decision at some point within the next six hours, but not know what that decision is, like that's that sucks.
1: It's probably one of the times in Star Trek you see him most indecisive and he actually looks to Riker and he's like, Do you think we should stay? Like you think you should we should stay, right? And Riker's like, I I don't know. Like they both really don't know what the next move is because you're being faced by this future. You know an outcome of a decision, but you don't know what the outcome is of which decision it is. So that's like, that's really tricky.
0: It's terrible. Yep. Again, like you said, the decision is made for them because Picard tells La Forge to take them out at maximum warp. And he says, he even says, put it to the wall. Put
1: it to the wall.
0: But it doesn't do anything. The ship, again, just lurches and there's so much strain on the engines that they have to stop. And then the ship actually starts to fall into the vortex.
1: This is one of my favorite shots, actually, in Star Trek. Oh, the tipping? Oh, the tipping of the ship. Because, you know, these external shots are expensive. So a lot of the times in Star Trek, you kind of get the recycled angles of the ship over and over and over again. Like, as it passes by different places. Like, you're always seeing the Enterprise kind of the same way. But to see it at a distance like this, the whole ship... Over this, like, gaping mouth of this phenomenon. And then you see it, like, slowly sink inside and get swallowed whole. And I was like, that's a cool shot. That's kind of neat. It is. Even before that, we see when they go to full warp nine, they have a top-down view of the ship. And you see the warpney cells glow up as they yeah. put the power in. And the ship goes forward and then stops. And it's, like, shaking around on top of the phenomenon. And so we see we get a lot of, like, cool new angles of the ship as it's being eaten by this thing.
0: Yeah, it is, it is really cool. They are really stuck laforge says he's holding at warp seven to maintain this position
1: yeah and they're now pointing up toward the opening so they're inside of it they are inside in the tunnel now yeah
0: yeah so they launch a probe right after they do that an energy beam comes into the ship and we see it on the bridge hit picard and then in sickbay hit picard prime so it hits both of them
1: yeah and he stands up and says that was personal (laughs) <laughs> and it seems that way. I mean, Troy has said that it's this is like, uh, there's a consciousness here and it's more instinct, but we don't really get an explanation as to why once it has the enterprise inside of itself that it starts like picking on Picard. And that's yeah. what
0: Troy says. And Worf loads torpedoes, he's getting ready to fire them, and it's stri- the energy beam strikes Picard again. And Troy's like, nope, now it is focusing on you, not the whole ship. So this right. is where Picard realizes what happens he says okay well if i leave the enterprise would it still focus on me and she says yeah i think so so he thinks okay that would give you a chance to escape and that's probably what happened i left the enterprise or the other picard left the enterprise
1: to try to ward like draw it off basically draw off its attention
0: i mean it looks like what he was trying to do was sacrifice himself
1: yeah but it worked out entirely backwards yes so that's even more tragic yeah. to what the decision that was made so picard goes to leave the bridge and riker is surprised that all of a sudden like we have prepped for this moment but it looks like we're about to make the same decision over again and riker says you're gonna leave the ship picard looks back at him from the open turbo lift door and says we may be on a road that has no turns yeah and troy follows
0: yeah he, he leaves and then troy like in a couple moments follows and then we go to sickbay, and somehow troy is there first let's not worry about it <laughs> picard gets there oh, yeah, and... i didn't
1: even notice that <laughs> She took a yeah. faster route.
0: A little a little continuity error. That's okay. It happens. Yeah. And Picard Prime is getting very agitated. And this, I think to me, this was partly where I was like this isn't just Picard from the future. This is Picard from that moment because he starts to say I have to get to the shuttle. I have to leave the ship. He doesn't know still who is around him, but he's focusing on this one this one moment. And so Picard says to Pulaski, release him, release Picard Prime. And she calls security, but he says no, no security on this. And also clear everyone out of Shuttle Bay 2. Like he does not want, I think he doesn't want any distractions and he also doesn't want anyone to potentially witnesses. <laughs> well, yeah. To, to witness or or potentially to like get hurt. Get get in the crossfire of whatever That's, is gonna happen. Yeah. So he wants like just just him and his duplicate, basically. Yeah. So he follows his duplicate to shuttle bay two and Picard Prime keeps saying, I have to leave the ship. He we do get I mean, I don't know that this is real this seems to be his interpretation he says that this entity sees the ship as a life form and me as the brain and it wants me yeah so that's the idea he wants like we said he wants to separate himself from the ship so that he will draw the fire uh, but picard is saying it's not gonna work what's the other option
1: yeah, because apparently there is another option. And Picard Prime is like, oh, it won't work. It won't work. And he's very singularly focused. Yeah. Picard Prime wants to go to the shuttle. And our Picard is like, but what's the other choice? And finally, Picard realizes that Picard Prime is locked into this like single intent, unable to change, unable to alter any of the previous actions. Picard Prime says there is only one way. There is another way, but it would never work, uh, but won't say what it is. And finally, Picard says that they can't fight, escape or go forward, and Picard Prime gets very upset with the idea of going forward, and they realize yeah. that must be the other option then.
0: Yeah, it's it's a bit of a funny thing where where Picard keeps saying, what was the other option? And at first I was like, I mean, it doesn't look like there is another option. Like, either he leaves in the shuttle, or he doesn't. Like, that's the other option, is he doesn't yeah. leave. But eventually it comes out that, yeah, there maybe there was this other idea of, going forward, meaning going into the vortex.
1: Yeah, and just like letting yourself be carried by it.
0: Picard Prime is like, that will destroy the ship, but our Picard knows that the ship is going to be destroyed anyway. You know, might as well try this. Yeah,
1: might as well try it. We already know what the other outcome is. Yeah. He says, before we can go forward, the cycle must end. And so he grabs a phaser... Yeah. And he shoots the other Picard. And that Picard, like, the sparks fly out of him. And he kind of, like, slumps over in the Elbaz. And and then he just sits there. And so, like, he has literally killed himself. He has shot the other version of himself.
0: I was thinking about this when we did the check-in, that you said that Yvette kept bringing up these, like, deeper pieces of, mm-hmm. of the episodes. And I was glad you brought that up in this one, because I totally did not see that. And I was like... Like, when he says that line, before we can go forward, the cycle must end, I was like, that feels like a metaphor. Yeah. Like, there are so many, you have to break so many cycles. There's so many ways that you can apply that. We have to break this cycle before we can move forward. You know, that works with certain kinds of, like, trauma and abuse and oppression. And there are so many cycles that you need to break before you can move forward. It just feels like a general metaphor. So I was I'm I'm really glad you brought up this other thing because I was really stuck on trying to be like, what is this what is this representing? Was
1: representing. Well I think you put the final piece in there too, because when you're when you're saying that the other Picard is not really it also makes this scene a lot less tragic. But yeah. if if the other Picard is not really like a fully realized alternative version of him, but it's more of like this moment in time where he has to make a decision. And decides not to make a repeat mistake or or repeating the same mistake over and over. He has to like literally destroy that other choice. Like it's like we're not making that choice now. And he's shooting himself. But it's actually like maybe we're seeing like an external manifestation of an internal struggle. Which happens a lot in Star Trek. Sure. And then you're not really actually killing another like sentient person. Because it is kind of murder otherwise. It is. It's very...
0: It's really disturbing. And then he just calls to Pulaski, he says, report to Shuttle Bay 2, and he just leaves.
1: He just leaves, yeah, he leaves his other dead version of himself. Just there. Yeah,
0: so Pulaski arrives with O'Brien, and she, like, yeah. finds this Picard Prime there. She, like, she doesn't say anything, but ba- you, you can tell, like, clearly he is dead, and she just kind of, again, walks away. Yeah. Like, she doesn't even say anything.
1: O'Brien well, stays.
0: O'Brien stays. Brian's yeah. like,
1: I'll hang out. I'll stay with You're the like, other captain. All right, captain. I'll watch, like, I'll the, I'll watch the
0: dead body here. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Back on the bridge, Picard says that trying to escape will only weaken them further. So they tell the helm to set a course for the center of the vortex. And we're just going to go straight in. So we see the ship spin around 180 yeah. degrees and it heads into the vortex. And we get this scene on the... Like uh, from the bridge, we can see like the, the center of the vortex. It's like we're staring down like this cloudy like tunnel and the ship shakes around for a bit. And then as that's happening, the Picard Prime and shuttle Prime both vanish. Yeah. And O'Brien tells them that that, that has happened. The cloud corridor vanishes and we're back to the the Enterprise flying at like normal warp stars through space. And yeah. Data says they're back on course to Anticor like they always were. And that all decks, uh, Worf says that all decks report no damage and no casualties. Well, there was one. There was one casualty. There was one casualty,
0: but apparently no one's reporting that one. And
1: thankfully the body has disappeared because that would have been awkward.
0: (laughs) I mean, I feel like he could have just stunned him and that would have been fine too, but he doesn't.
1: No, because then you'd have two Picards kicking around. Like I guess he didn't have to do that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know.
0: It's I, weird. I see
1: the imagery. I get it. I think yeah, it makes yeah, yeah. more sense now that we've tried to decode it a bit more. But yeah.
0: Yeah. So we end on the observation lounge. Picard is there alone looking out of the window into the stars. And Riker joins him. And Picard says, you know, this brings up a lot of questions but not any answers. And Riker wonders if maybe it was an illusion but Picard says that he thinks this version of himself was maybe thrown back in time so that like like almost as a warning or as a a way of telling them make a different choice do do something else yeah and then he says they say if you travel far enough you will eventually meet yourself and that having experienced that in very real terms he would not care to repeat that experience
1: it reminded me of a quote during the apollo moon missions and we actually have this quote engraved on a table outside of the Trache observatory the observatory that i work at at simon fraser university yeah and it says we came all this way to explore the moon and the most important thing is that we discovered the earth oh during the apollo missions is when the most distant images of Earth were ever taken. Right. One of the most iconic, and I think one of the most reproduced images in the world, at least in print form before everything started going digital, is called Earthrise. And it's of the Earth rising over the horizon of the Moon. It was kind of this profound thing that, yes, we were trying to go out to the Moon, we were trying to explore all of these things out in space, but then we were able to look back and have this profound view on ourselves and our own place in space. And then the same thing happened with the Voyager probe. When we sent Voyager out into space, we had the camera turn around and the last photo that it took before we turned the cameras off, and this was a, a project that was inspired by Carl Sagan, was to take a photo of Earth. And it's the most distant photo of Earth ever taken. It's called Pale Blue Dot. And it's right. the Earth from six billion kilometers away. And it's just this little dot. And and Sagan has this incredible uh, monologue about that, that picture that people should check out called Pale Blue Dot. And it's, I think this is an important thing about Star Trek as well. Star Trek's always about us a, a discovering more about ourselves as we explore the universe. And I, I wonder back now to Riker saying this thing about Picard. is like you're not really good with just like sitting and waiting and writing something out. But even the escape of this phenomenon required that. It, it wasn't them to struggle to get out of it or to fight to get out of it. They had to just turn around make no decisions, and just let themselves be carried by the phenomenon through to the other side. And sometimes life is like that. You, you might be able to struggle against it, but you might be, it might not be able to. Sometimes some things you just got to ride out.
0: The comment from the Apollo mission, this idea of like we came this far to see ourselves, to see Earth, that to me is a very positive thing. Yes. Picard is looking at it in such a, a much more sinister way.
1: Yeah, it's like this experience that he's had with a version of himself that's vulnerable and he doesn't really like. But I, I think this goes on in a way to become part of Picard's growth arc through the it series. It
0: does, I think. Yeah. Yes. He, is, he is not great with vulnerability.
1: No, <laughs> he's not. That's where Q comes into play, I think, often in Star Trek.
0: Well, it's funny that you say that because... This episode was originally, I read a couple different things, it was originally either meant to be a sort of as a two-parter, and in the second part you would, we would discover that actually Q was behind this whole thing. Oh, interesting. Or it was not necessarily going to be a two-parter, but there will be, here a little teaser spoiler alert, we are going to see Q in a, a couple of episodes. And that episode was going to somehow connect back to this one. And and that, again, you would find out that Q was sort of orchestrating this whole thing. And it was yeah. him who sent Picard back in time.
1: Fascinating. Because that does, we do see stuff like that happen later, but in a much more kind of developed way. That basically is the finale to the whole series. Well,
0: yeah, they ended up using some of those ideas in the finale in a way that I think was done so brilliantly that oh, yeah. this one, I think, was kind of lacking yeah I don't think they could have done that finale episode in season two like that that no. finale it works so well as a finale yeah. we'll get there in however many decades it takes us to get to season seven I think what works so well about that is that the the characters know each other and know Picard so well yeah and here they just don't you know we're only a season and a half into the the whole
1: series yeah you have to earn the meaning behind that i actually yeah. I thought about that finale a lot when i watched the second of the two-parter marvel finale with thanos i don't know if you watched any of those movies i've that, hardly that, watched
0: any marvel movies so.
1: movies? yeah but they they do like a very much like uh because the movies take place over like i don't know they're, they're doing them for like 10 years by the time yeah. this finale comes and a lot of it is them traveling to the past and meeting like previous versions of themselves from the past movies. And it's like all this nostalgia and callback over the 10 years of the films. And I was like, oh man, this is like the all good things of Marvel. Like it felt <laughs> just like that, um, you know, kind of like taking a page from from next generation. But you're right, they have to earn that. Like the, yeah. the characters need to develop those relationships over time for something like that to work. So in the meantime, it's more of like a, you know, it's sort of a one-off little like metaphor episode, which which is fine for Star Trek. Yeah, and I don't mind them. And
0: no, not at all. These
1: are like trial runs. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. And I'm glad you brought up what you did because I do think, and like you were saying just a little while ago, this does become an important part of Picard's arc. Like he's not, he's not great with the vulnerability, but he does get better at it.
1: Yes, he does. And that's, that is, I think that is a very big part of what leads up to that finale that we'll get to in 30 years, like you said, or whatever. But it (laughs) it is about Picard having more like opening up and having deeper connections with his crew and, and realizing that maybe he doesn't have to have that kind of like veneer of perfection or or whatever. Yeah. You know?
0: And actually, now that I think about it, the that idea of like a flaw being there to prevent something from being perfect, there is a piece like Picard is a really good captain and I'm glad he has this flaw because as a character... It would be really infuriating if he didn't have any flaws. So this is, you know, I'm glad he has this. You have to have, I had a writing teacher once who was like, when you're writing, he was talking about writing novels, but he was like, you have to have the capacity for growth. You don't necessarily have to have the growth, but you have to have the capacity for growth in a character. Otherwise, it's not going to be an interesting story. And I think it's
1: true. Yeah, the characters have a flaw that, where you, but if you're, if your show doesn't care about character arcs, then you probably write these more archetypical heroes right. that are just like perfect and they they always do the right thing and they always make the right call and stuff like that but you know in 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 these series and then in, in certainly in in future iterations of the Star Trek franchise we we have characters that can grow that make mistakes that are flawed um, yeah. and it's and it's interesting when you have other characters show those flaws or point out those flaws in order for them to grow and i, I think we'll see more of that as the series evolves, and I can think of a couple of characters off the top of my head. Q is one of them. I think Q pokes at a lot of the human flaws through the series.
0: He does. It's like his favorite thing to do.
1: Yeah, and that we introduced that as a whole idea right off the get-go, is that we're going to be examining humanity. And does it deserve to travel through space? Does it deserve to be what it is or what it's trying to even do? Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: Well, that was fun. I'm glad we were able to say that. As I was putting together the summary for this, I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Not a lot in this episode. So I'm glad we were able to find what what we found.
1: I think we're getting good at that. I mean, we even managed to talk a lot about the Royale.
0: We did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> cool. I think I'm uh, good. Did you have any other final yeah. thoughts
0: on this? No, I think we got it.
1: I think we got it too, yeah. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice.
0: Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at NathanNunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at FirstLinkPod, or send us an email at FirstLinkPod at gmail.com to let us know what you would do with a different version of yourself. I'm Ruthie.
1: And I'm Matthew. And if you doubt your cooking skills, make sure you always invite a Klingon to eat.